Hi, and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. In this episode, I am sticking with England, and I am going to tell you about killer Barry Peter Prudham. So, Caitlin, have you heard of Barry Prudhomme before? No. Me neither. And that's why Mm -hmm. I'm like, is this either going to be a really old one that you do, (laughs) or is this one that I've just completely missed again? So let's start. It's 1701. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. It's not. Uh, I feel though we should know this, because a lot has happened. But, again, we don't. So really, we should just stop doing this podcast. We're not worthy. (laughs) Okay, I'm looking forward to it. Right, so Barry Prudham was the illegitimate son of Kathleen Edwards and she was a Leeds dressmaker. And Peter Carlo, I'm not going to pronounce his surname correctly, but he was a soldier serving with the British Army. Peter played no part in uh, Prudham's upbringing and the two, they never ever met. Now the family home was at 39 Grosvenor Place in Leeds and Prudham attended Blenheim Primary School and Meanwood Secondary School. Although born Barry Edwards, his name was changed to Barry Prudham in 1949 when his mother married Alex Prudham. He was briefly sent to an approved school in Acliffe Village, which is in County Durham, for housebreaking. After leaving school, Prudham commenced an apprenticeship and trained as an electrician. And in October 1965, he married Gillian Wilson, who was then aged 19 years old. There were two children from that marriage, a daughter born in 1966 and a son in 1970. Now, Prudhomme's mother died in a drowning accident while on holiday in 1973. So he was still quite young when his mum passed. Now, in 1969, Prudhomme enlisted with Leeds-based B Squadron, which is 23 Special Air Service, part of the Army's part-time volunteer territorial force. The unit specialised in covert surveillance, reconnect reconnaissance and stay behind operations. Now Prudhomme was eventually rejected by the unit as he was considered temperamentally unsuitable and disliked discipline, which if you don't like discipline, you cannot join any of the special forces at all because it's very disciplined. Now it's unknown which stage he had reached in the selection phase, which for the territorials is spread over a long period, although he did participate in training manoeuvres with the unit and an official statement revealed only that he had failed the final initiative test. Now, Prudhomme subsequently established himself as a grocer and he purchased a shop for his wife on Quarry Street in Leeds. But by 1977, he was working for the petroleum industry in Saudi Arabia in order to earn more money. So while he was there, his wife left him for another man. Now, police later disclosed that while he was in Saudi Arabia, his wife formed a liaison with another man and he got the sort of Dear John letter, you know, saying... I've left you for another man, which you know, <gasps> that's so sad. Mm-hmm. So clearly, this had quite a traumatic effect on him. And from being a very stable, hardworking man, he became irritable. And he was even more annoyed when he returned to England and found his wife had taken £8,000 from the bank account. So, not just a dear John letter, but a dear John of taking your money too. Now, this is no excuse, obviously, for the person to murder etc but 
it really kind of turned a switch on this person. Now, between 1977 and 1982, Prudhomme dated Carol Francis and the two travelled extensively as he took work on oil rigs in Canada and the USA. In January 1982, while he was in Wakefield, West Yorkshire, he, arrest he was arrested for a violent assault on a motorist with an iron bar and he used his alias of Barry Edwards. Now, after failing to attend Leeds Crown Court to answer bail, a warrant was issued for his arrest. But remember, this is in Barry Edwards' name. Now, France, Francis, by now, he, she had left Prudhomme and he moved out. she moved out of the house in Leeds and, you know, I, there's nothing else on her. So I don't really know if there was much of a relationship left. Now, Prudhomme, he didn't hold a licence to possess firearms because we're in the UK here. Yes, we're in the 80s, 70s, 80s, etc., like we know firearms they could be held but not a 0.22 caliber Beretta model 71 Jaguar pistol which he had purchased in the USA. Now he smuggled it back into Britain and the model was a virtually recoilless lightweight and easily concealed pistol and it was described as the sign signature Terminator pistol of Mossad which is a compact accurate and flawlessly reliable performer that could easily be used to quickly and accurately deliver multiple rounds into vital parts of a human body. So this is not something that someone should hold at all, period. Now, let's jump to the 17th of June 1982. So after commencing duty at 6am, PC David Haig, aged 29, was attempting to serve a summons on a poacher in the Washburn Valley near Harrogate, North Yorkshire. When Haig failed to respond to a radio call from his station at Harrogate, PC Mick Clipston was sent to check on his whereabouts and discovered his patrol car at a picnic site at Norwood Edge near Berwickshaw, or Beckwithshaw, sorry. The door of the car was still open and PC Haig's body was next to it, having been killed by a single .22 long rifle calibre pistol shot directly to the head. Haig's clipboard was found on which he had written Clive Jones, born 1810-44, Leeds NFA, no fixed address, followed by a vehicle registration number, KYF326P. Having cleared the poacher and a Leeds man called Clive Jones of involvement, police launched a murder investigation headed by North Yorkshire Police's Assistant Chief Constable David Burke. The registration number recorded by Haig belonged to a metallic green Citroen car, which police ascertained had been the subject of a cash sale to an unknown man at Kingsbury in London, January 1982. And a witness came forward to say that he had seen this car parked at the murder location at approximately 6.35am on the 17th of June. Now, on the 19th of June, Citroen was discovered burnt out in a cornfield near Lidsham, West Yorkshire, and that's around 25 miles from the scene of Haig's murder. Now, on the 20th of June, after abandoning the Citroen, Prudhomme had hitchhiked and walked to Torquay, Lincolnshire, where on the 20th of June, he broke into a house and tied up the elderly occupant, 75-year-old Frida Jackson. He stole £4.50 from her, 
then left, saying that he had been unconcerned about her welfare as he knew the bread man would find her in the morning. The the robbery was not connected with Prudhomme until the 23rd of June. So just before dawn on the 23rd of June, he broke into another home approximately 20 miles away from the first um, robbery. The occupants, George Luckett, 52, an electrician, and his wife, Sylvia, who was 50, were tied together at the elbows and both were shot once in the head. George Luckett's wound was fatal, but Sylvia survived, although she was left with permanent brain damage and no clear recollection of the incident. After Prudhomme left the scene, Sylvia managed to crawl to a nearby house and raise the alarm with neighbours. Now, Prudhomme took their brown-coloured Rover car and then drove to Dolby Forest, North Yorkshire. At some point, he stole registration plates from another car and he swapped them up with the Rovers. Now, when North Yorkshire police received details of the murder and of the other robbery of the lady, they concluded that the same man was responsible and the incident rooms of Nottinghamshire, well, that was illiterate, sorry, Nottinghamshire police and Lincolnshire police were connected to the North Yorkshire computer to allow the three forces to share and compare information relating to the investigations. Now, Prudent was stopped during a routine check in the Berkeley area of Dolby Forest, approximately eight miles from Scarborough, North Yorkshire, on the 24th of June by police dog handler PC Ken Oliver. When Oliver asked him to step out the vehicle, Prudent opened fire with his 22 pistol, the first round hitting the officer's face. As Prudhomme got out of the car to fire again, the police dog reacted by attacking Prudhomme, giving Oliver a chance to run for cover in a nearby house. And of the seven bullets that hit him, none were thankfully fatal. The dog was also shot twice and wounded. Prudhomme then smashed the radio transceiver in Oliver's van and drove it a short distance into the forest before returning and setting fire to the rover. He then headed into the forest and went to ground once more. Within hours, a huge manhunt had commenced in the forest involving police marksmen, helicopters and 1,000 police officers on foot. As darkness fell, the search was halted although police maintained a cordon around the forest throughout the night so that if anything did happen, anybody moved, they'd still be able to see if that was going to catch the killer. Now, the search of the forest commenced again at daybreak on the 25th of June and then again on the 26th of June. But despite maintaining a cordon throughout the night, police were unable to find any sign of Prudhomme. Although Prudhomme had given a false name and no address, he had actually given his true date of birth and an officer, P.T. Martin Hatton, who was cross-checking outstanding arrest warrants, made the connection between P.C. Haig's written note and the birth date of Barry Edwards. The police searched the address given by Edwards and established he was actually Barry Prudhomme, a keep-fit fanatic obsessed with weapons, as we know, and the military. During the search, they also found Eddie McGee's No Need to Die manual detailing Special Forces survival techniques. So Eddie McGee was an SAS officer who had written a book about survival. Now, PC Oliver was able to identify his assailant as Pudum from fo- photographs and other, I'm sorry, and also fingerprints on the burned out vehicle found near Leeds 
which was found to be those of Prudham. Now, ballistic tests proved that the same gun had been used in the killings of Haig and of Luckett, and the police released Prudham's name to the media as their prime suspect and the most wanted man in Britain at the time. Now, at 2pm, Police Sergeant David Winter, who was 31, and PC McWood received information about a suspicious man seen in the village of Old Malton, which is in North Yorkshire, 200 yards from the village police station. Winter challenged Pridham, who produced his pistol and opened fire. Although Winter tried to take cover behind a low wall, he was pursued by Pridham and shot three times, and the final shot fired from point-blank range. After them firing at a Guardian journalist and a BBC News crew, Prudhomme escaped from the scene through a nearby alley. Heavy rain hampered the search efforts for the next two days and despite the presence of 600 officers, including 100 armed officers, the use of dogs and the RAF search and rescue West and Wessex helicopters, Prudhomme eluded detection. This man still could not be found. Now, Eddie McGee, which was nicknamed Jungle Eddie by colleagues. He was a former physical training instructor from the Parachute Regiment and he'd served in the Special Air Services. Now, having completed 22 years of service, he retired from the Army and now operated the National School of Survival, which is a survival training school near Harrogate. He had authored five books on the subject and No Need to Die was considered a viable for enthusiasts of personal survival studies. His tracking skills had been learned while living among Australia's indigenous Aboriginal people and pygmy groups in Africa. He was married with two sons, both of whom were serving police officers in Yorkshire. So Chief Constable said the development. Now we have somebody looking for him with even more skill in the art of invasion and survival than Barry Edwards has. I am confident we are going to find him. So McGee and a colleague, Eric Longden, they joined the manhunt at Dalby Forest and then they moved on to Malton, where they followed tracks from PS, sorry, from PC Winter's body through the town's Old Manor Moor and all the other areas, escorted by an armed police bodyguard from the Central Firearms Unit. After, after several hours, the search moved suddenly back to Dalby Forest, where police were informed that a camouflaged bivvy shelter had been uncovered in a Forestry Commission plantation. Chief Constable Kenneth Henshaw ordered the largest arsenal of weapons ever issued to a British police force and placed a cordon around Malton, sealing off the town on the 1st of July. Although certain that Prudhomme was still hiding somewhere in the town, police gave regular briefings to the media saying that they were searching for him in Dolby Forest. Inspector Peter Walker later explained that they wanted him to believe they were seeking him elsewhere and the safety of the public was obviously the most important thing in their minds. This guy is running about with a gun, let's remember that. Now the media reports were invaluable because they led Prudham to believe that the hunt was concentrated outside of the town and it was in the forest so for once you know the media part is very important now for several days Prudhomme hid in the countryside around the town and on the 3rd of July he entered the home of pensioner Maurice Johnston in Eastmount Old Malton and took him his wife Bessie and their son Brian as hostages he ate a meal in the Johnston's home while he described as you know the last supper and he hid out in the house for 11 hours 
Brian Johnson later related that as the night went on, we got talking as though we had known each other for years. He was calling me Brian and my father, he was calling dad. Pudum gave Brian Johnson a gift of a US paratrooper's ring and then, believing the area was relatively safe, tied up the family and left the house at 3.15am on the 4th of July. Now, having learned from the television reports that Eddie McGee, a former special agent, was assisting the police, Prudhomme set a false trail leading away from the Johnsons' home, then headed back and hid in a makeshift shelter near the tennis club, only 300 yards from the police station, which was also the temporary headquarters coordinating the whole manhunt. Around two hours later, the Johnsons had managed to free themselves and called the police. McGee picked up Prudhomme's trail at the Johnson residence and noticed disturbances of fresh dew on the grass, which led him to where Prudhomme was hiding. A firearm squad from Greater Manchester Police, led by Chief Inspector David Clarkson, was called to the scene and Prudhomme was told to give himself up. Stun grenades were thrown by the police and, on hearing a gunshot from Prudhomme's location, Clarkson ordered his officers to open fire. When firing subsided, Prudhomme was found dead in the hideout. The inquest into Prudhomme's death was presided over by Coroner Michael Oakley. The post-mortem was conducted by Dr Siva Sivas, a lecturer in forensic pathology at Leeds University, who reported that there were a total of 21 penetrating shotgun wounds to Prudhomme's body, which had insufficient velocity to enter the body cavity. A .22 bullet fired into the right side of his head, which was consistent with a self-inflicted wound and a further shotgun pellet which had entered through his forehead. Both of the head wounds would have caused instant loss of consciousness and possibly instant death. Oakley summed up the evidence to the jury by saying, I would submit to you that there is an abundance of evidence to suggest that he fired the shot that killed himself. And the jury just took 18 minutes to return a verdict of suicide. Prudhomme was buried in an unmarked grave to Harehill Cemetery, Leeds. And obviously, because of the suicide, he was never convicted of the murders that he caused. And that is the wild story of Barry Prudhomme. I can't believe I've never heard of him. Me neither. At some points, I'm like, am I just making this up? Yeah, I feel like we should definitely have known about that. And I don't know how it maybe was all over the papers at the time, but definitely not really now. No, not at all. I have not even seen any proper, you know, shows on it or like documentaries and things that I shouldn't say shows, but you know what I mean. And um, it's crazy. 